Welcome back, nobodies, to Doom Patrol Radio WDPR 96.3. Look, up in the nebula, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's... Oh, wait. Oh, it's really a bird. Oh, oh, it's a lot of birds. Oh, oh, shit! Nate, sit up straight. Did I look like I was like horribly? Did my posture look terrible? Oh my god! I'm reading my comic book. Hunched over like fucking Smeagol. So are you gonna buy anything? <laughs> Can you not eat pretzels over the slipcovers, please? Thank you. Welcome back, nobody. It's your favorite Doom Patrol podcast. This side of the painting. My name is Mark, and my name is Nathan. And today we're talking about Bird Patrol, the seventh episode of season one. Nate, how are we doing today on this episode? We're doing excellent on this episode. This episode was so excellent. (laughs) (laughs) There was a lot. It was a very artful episode, in my opinion. Um, Very heartfelt, pulling at my heart strings. Um, What's another heart thing that you can say? The band, heart. Oh, yeah, good band. (laughs) <laughs> I thought this was a really funny episode. Um, let's uh, let's give credit where credit is due real quick before we get right into it. But yes, uh, this this episode really surprised me. Uh, today's episode, Bird Patrol, episode seven of season three. We got three episodes left of the season. Curious to see what is going to happen. And it is directed by Omar Madad, who directed the last episode, 1917 Patrol. So we've got an interesting thing going on with this season where uh, episodes two and three were directed by Christopher Manley. And then uh, Kristen Wendell uh, directed, uh, I forgot how to count, four and five. And now we have six and seven directed by Omar Madad. And so Dermot Downs directed the first one. I'm wondering if we're going to get uh, another double feature by a director uh, come next week and the week after that and then cut back to Dermot Downs doing another finale episode question mark um, so really curious to see what happens there but I really liked the pacing that's been happening in the season with having these directors direct uh, episodes back to back because I feel like it creates the right amount of pacing especially when we close one chapter on the season and start a new one um, kind of like how we have with the Sisterhood of Dada and then Everything that Christopher Manley did with both uh, Gargoax and the Dead Boy Detectives. Uh, so it's been really interesting. I'm, I'm curious to see who directs next week's episode. Um, but this week for Bird Patrol, Ezra Clayton Daniels, first time writing for Doom Patrol. And apparently, first time writing for a major TV show in, in general. Uh, this... Uh, this came as news to me this morning when I was seeing the reception that the episode has because unlike uh, other people, I have to work a full day's work before I get to watch today's episode. So I got to just be on Twitter and I was seeing you know, all the love and support people normally show for Doom Patrol episodes without doing any spoilers, which is fantastic. Thank you guys for doing that. Um, but there was a lot of praise for the, uh, the writer for today's episode, Ezra Clayton Daniels. Um, and uh, really, really wholesome story about Ezra, if I can speak about him for a second. Um, 
I don't mean to put you on on blast or in the spotlight if you don't mean to, um, but I feel like this feels very much parallel to how Doom Patrol, the show and the stories and the comic books feel, where Ezra tweeted earlier today, he said, uh, I'm 42 years old. Two years ago, I didn't know where my next paycheck was coming from. Today, my first episode of TV premiered on HBO Max. And then he's got another uh, script coming through on another show on Shudder, which is like the horror channel um, called Horror Noir. Um, and so it's just incredible that this man is getting work uh, w- within two years of, of struggling, uh, especially with the pandemic and everything. So not only are uh, his dreams being realized as a writer, but he's also doing it for Doom Patrol. So it's just incredible for him. Uh, he has a few more tweets to, to go out there along with it. Um, but it, it really does feel the same way that we feel about the characters in Doom Patrol, not only in the comic books, but in the TV show as well, where they they struggle, they go through hardships, and you know what? <laughs> Love perseveres, it seems. So congratulations, Ezra. You directed a fantastic first episode. You know, if anyone was to uh, write their first TV episode and and have a debut man that is that is quite the bar so congratulations it's pretty there. good round uh, of applause all around honestly um, yeah you got hey you got two new fans in us that's for damn sure <laughs> yeah absolutely uh this this episode was really funny i said that earlier um but i was i was laughing quite a bit throughout this episode there's a lot of great writing for the characters for a lot of the um, I, it's weird to say, but like a lot of the day-to-day stuff that the Doom Patrol go through, especially each episode when they have basically their commentary on what's happening to them every single week, every single episode that we see them in. Um, of course, there's a lot of the what the fucks and what the hell is going on around here and all this weird bonkers shit that happens. Um, but the the writing is really funny. Like There are some really punchy jokes in in today's episode that really drive it to being not not only informative but just like really like actual laugh out loud moments from me i had a couple of those today yeah like a lot there was some really good line delivery in this episode exactly Um, yeah it's just i mean these characters these actors are just getting so knee deep into these characters they're just becoming an extension off of you know the ones that i know at least from the book um, everybody is synonymous with the characters now. And that's a very good thing, you know, especially from a comic book series. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Their, their live action counterparts are akin to, uh, you know, what you see on the page. Yeah. And like, <sighs> even some of the characters we've, we've started to get to know, like the sisterhood of Dada and all the characters that are, that are there, you know, Lloyd Jefferson and Sachiko and, uh holly mckenzie um it's like these characters are it it, we've been dealing with doom patrol for three seasons now and the sisterhood of dada for like two episodes and yet we've already established this camaraderie with the sisterhood of dada and we feel for how they feel especially in their motive and, and how they feel about things not so much in uh, Mr. Nobody, who feels a little bit like a static character, even though he's given a whole season. Um, and Candlemaker is only made dynamic through 
through the uh, the writing of Dorothy by understanding who Dorothy is and understanding all her imaginary friends and how they reflect her, that makes Candlemaker uh, a symptom of Dorothy rather than, a, you know, he is static in his own way. But then with the sisterhood of Dada and having them for only two episodes, and they're extremely dynamic. And then you look at Brain and Monsieur Mala, who also been in only two episodes, and there's there's still the static characters. We enjoy the static characters that are Brain and Monsieur Mala, but in the in the same amount of episodes, the entire cast that is the Sisterhood of Dada is just written to being such well-rounded characters. We talked about it with Win Everett's character, the Quiz, like the first time we see her, and like how much of a leader that character is and then in this in the 1917 patrol uh that character doesn't seem as much as like the leader as you you know they feel like an equal and then uh in today's episode it really doesn't take the spotlight at all you see more so uh more lloyd jefferson the quiz and more um i'm sorry um uh frenzy and then you see sachiko the quiz uh really the more outspoken of the group and then you still have Holly McKenzie, who seems to be, um, for lack of a better term, like the voice of reason among the group. Like uh, she's the one who seems to best explain it uh, as commentary, as a chorus to the audience of of how the sisterhood of Dada feels. I was gonna say chorus more. Yeah. So they do a fantastic job writing these characters, um, and then even Bendy, because I feel like we have to make this statement now this declaration of of bendy the character and not rita far because we've been talking a lot about rita far and how we love rita far and sure we might be like yeah april bolby's performance in today's episode is just as stellar but the character who is bendy is now the character in this in this episode um especially when we get to the finale of, of today's uh today's episode it's just like yeah that character is 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 a completely unique character and we sympathize with the way that that character feels by the end of it. So um, it was a really funny episode. And then at the very end, it was almost sad. It was <laughs> like heart. It was a tearjerker. I yeah. mean, it's a, it's heartbreaking, if you will. Very heartbreaking. Yeah. I. Um, it w- It was very just kind of upsetting in... Not not in a horrifying way. I mean, I did kind of have that fear of of it being as horrifying. Not not in the sense of like uh, I don't know. Let's say like Game of Thrones red wedding, but in the same kind of tense moment where the revelations are coming to Laura Demille, and you know having to see the past, see how much has progressed in the past, and then cut over to um, present time and kind of cross those time streams uh that's when it was like oh something's happening and i don't know if i'm prepared for it um so a lot of things get resolved in today's episode um where best to start with this one um i was thinking you know the eternal uh, flagellation is here uh we see them at the beginning of this episode they are building that birdcage that they were drawing in last week's episode, we thought maybe they were drawing Paris, but we're completely wrong. They are—they were drawing and building a birdcage, uh, <laughs> which might be pretty on the nose. Um, and I have more thoughts about that when we get to the end of today's episode. But I wanted to point out 
uh, along with the character, the design of Sleepwalk, like the costume wardrobe for Sleepwalk. We don't really get to see uh, Anita wear the costume as much, but the character itself is really, really well written. Um, But just like in the comic books, I fell in love with Sleepwalk because of the design of the character and Mm -hmm. like the whole headphones and like the, the like rain boots and the pants. Like I, I dig the character. It's such a funky looking character. Uh, I, I, again, I love the design of Sleepwalk. Um, what did you think, Nate? Yeah. Excellent wardrobe. Honestly, the colors pop, um, that big pink foghorn was that drew my attention real quick. Oh yes. Um, the foghorn with the, the, the tile. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it just kind of is very fitting. Um, that whole Sleepwalk's whole aesthetic is right up my alley. Um, even the, uh, the ice cream truck hanging out in the ice cream truck and everything like that's just i don't know it's excellent um yeah the costuming was was great um i still uh love uh frenzy's outfit and he had a really cool hat today Mm -hmm. um yeah it looked it looked excellent uh they all look great um even uh sachiko's had a different face mask on had a more intense gas mask and you were telling me that the uh the germophobia or agoraphobia is just like getting more and more intense it seems um, like it. Yeah. It seems like it maybe maybe just be maybe, I don't know or maybe it's a face mask thing. I don't know. Um maybe we'll get an entire like whole tube thing yeah, going on. Like the, um, the whole caustic rig, the hazmat enviro suit thing. By that'd the be wild. It, yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking um, But everybody looked looked excellent, honestly. Yeah. I'm thinking like as the season progresses, like um the quiz's outfit is gonna get more and more uh, hardened for the environment a little bit um and you know like this whole episode 30 years goes by in the past you know we had 1917 patrol and then we cut forward in the past to 1949 so 30 years has passed uh since we last saw them and a, a lot has happened you know we saw the end of world war or around the end of world war one in last week's episode so now that we're in 1949 we're seeing the end of the second world war uh and if you know people are familiar with what has happened like a lot in technical technological advancement um but as lord demille states like war is is never ending and the Bureau of, of Normalcy now is, 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 is extremely changing, especially with this concept of a metahuman arms race instead of a, um, just a regular arms race. So it's, it's uh, a very tense moment here at the Bureau of Normalcy, and we see that reflected in the characters, which is great when they come up with this, um, this catalyst to enact the, the eternal flagellation. Um, Frenzy brings it up best about, you know, this movement, the Sisterhood of Dada, was a movement to to make an end of, of this whole war machine that happens. Uh, and, and the fact that they still exist but nothing has changed has shown that they have actually done nothing uh, with the art that they use to propagate such change. So... And then we see the quiz, Sachiko's character, or Sachiko, the character, um, Hiraizumi is the actress, um, 
you know, kind of going through this very depressive episode of, of uh, alcohol abuse. And it, I, I don't want to like just jump to conclusions, but I'm sure it's, 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 it's made worse by the tragedy that has happened in Japan around 1945, only four years um, before, you know, you know, we get to this point in time, but for a Japanese character in a TV show post-World War II, it has to be an extremely hard time. So not only is she dealing with being Asian, but also being a metahuman during this time in the Bureau of Normalcy, working in these conditions. Lloyd Jefferson understands these things because uh, he is a black man in, in the U.S., um, and so he's suffering the same things. Um, and so now they're really starting to feel it. Meanwhile, you look at bendy and bendy and malcolm they are um still practicing performance art and 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 having a romantic time at that and you know it's great i do enjoy it i think it's fantastic that bendy and malcolm are able to do things in really romantic ways that aren't just okay now we're just going to write the two characters kissing and like you know, you have a romantic moment that seems intimate with the two characters, and then you're like, well, how do we display that on camera? Well, you have two, two actors kiss. Um, they subvert that again in today's episode and instead do something that's equally romantic, which is practicing this kind of performance art that they've been rehearsing. And just, you know, at first you're like, that's a little weird to, to do right there in the middle of the uh, Bureau of Normalcy. But it shows off as really romantic. But it's a, when they go to perform that for the sisterhood of Dada, they're performing an expression of their love for each other, which isn't what the sisterhood of Dada represents. So 30 years has go, gone by, and they're still having a great time uh, practicing the, the art of Dada, but like they're doing it to express themselves to each other, whereas the sisterhood of Dada was like, hey, we started this vanguard movement to stop that out there which is happening this whole you know there's a second war we didn't even stop the first one now there's a second one who knows if there's going to be a third one and and we're over here saying that our art is supposed to be a movement to stop war and make changes and yet we're still here in this basement and we haven't done anything so it's just it was just a really impactful moment for me. I think this was um, one of my favorite parts of today's episode. But Nate, yeah, what did you think about everything that's going on in the past here? Um, I didn't really, uh, it didn't click for me that the whole 30-year uh, gap in time from 1917 Patrol to this one, um, it didn't occur to me until like way, way later on until they were having their big moment of, we are artists we need to how are we using our art pretty much um mm -hmm. so yeah it's just like goes about the same thing with like you know and whenever this context comes up i'm always reminded of cliff just standing in his room for 30 years doing nothing and it's like that is just uh terrible but the idea of these metahumans having to just like wait and and live um is just so fascinating to me, especially ones that are, you know, in the bureau. Um, there was a line that, that they, 
Yeah, the, there was a line that they said where they uh, said, like, we watched the Bureau turn from oddities to normalcy. And that's another thing that always slips by me. It's like that Bureau was something completely different. And then there was a big change. Yeah. Do we know what that big change was? Is it just war? Was it just the idea of weaponizing metahumans instead of just, you know, Professor X finding them and keeping them all in one area? I guess so, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's the same thing that happened. It's it's a, it's a uh, what is it, a metaphor or an allegory to what happened in real life where we had the Industrial Revolution and we said, oh, wow, steam power, so cool, so helpful. Uh, not good for the environment, but we were like, hey, we can do a lot of things with this. Uh, and then, you know, you get to aviation and then we're like, oh, wow, we can make planes, we can fly, all these type of things. And then someone's like, hey, can you put a gun on that plane? And someone says, <laughs> sure can. And it says it still works. And they said, cool. What if we killed other people with that? And then you get into, you know, building tanks and tear gas, mustard gas. And how do we fight that? And then how do we fight that with this? And it goes the same way where the Bureau of, Nor- or the Bureau of Oddities was like, hey, wow, cool things cool weird things this is awesome and then someone's like could you kill another person and they just go sure can and they go can you <laughs> kill that person and then they you know it's spirals from there into being like i don't know this country now has metahumans and you know they're better than our metahumans and it's just tribalism that's all it is it's 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 technological advancement and societal decay that's 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 the bread and butter of world history. The, so another very interesting thing is that Rita has lived two life, lifetimes in 1917 from, from 1917. Uh, yeah. Well, she lived, she lived, she lived one lifetime, I guess. Uh, Around oh, now, That's I was thinking hard. about it too. 1949. So Forbidden Congo is being filmed in 1955. So mm-hmm. Rita Farr and she's, is yeah, somewhere, something, you know, yeah. uh, you're making making the the, the movie something I should say. She's Sorry. in the yeah. pictures, if she, if you will. Um, meanwhile, Bendy is here at at the uh, not the ant farm, but the Bureau of uh, Normalcy. It, it is the ant farm, but Bureau of Normalcy. Yeah. Um, now that's another thing. Is there two Ritas technically? There are two Ritas. There's two Ritas. So. Oh yeah. So then that would another solidifying the the Rita that travels back in time to the present time to the lodge to push her past self back in. That's got to be extended life Rita. This one that just spent thirty years and oh, we haven't even to, gotten to that yet. <laughs> haven't even gotten to that. But we that does make now that. that there is two Ritas. We just don't know what happens to that one that goes back in time now there's got to be some sort of back to the future-esque thing to happen whatever Um, yeah there's we got a lot of there's (laughs) some questions were answered in today's episode but man you just made me think about all the other questions we don't have answered yet Uh, including we don't even see laura demille and how she's gotten to use the time machine either or why bendy and laura demille wear the same outfit at, at one point so yeah. Well, she obviously puts on the outfit because it's a time traveler outfit. 
I I forgot. I'm so sorry. Yeah, you got to put the outfit on before you time travel. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep, that slipped my mind. Um, <laughs> uh, let's talk about Laura DeMille. Laura DeMille, Michelle Gomez's character. Uh, the, uh, the the Laura DeMille that is in the Doom Manor, still the great Michelle Gomez being herself. Uh, it's, it's fantastic. Again, like when we talk about the, the humor in today's episode. Uh, it is top notch with her trying to seal and tape down everything. Um, she has a lot of great bits with Larry Trainer, who we should probably get into next. Um, but when we cut to Laura DeMille in 1949, and then at the uh, at the end of the the episode, it really starts to show that other side of Laura Laura DeMille that I've been thinking about, and. You know, I, I've mentioned that Madame Rouge in the comics and stuff has had a uh, history with bipolar uh, disorder. And I don't think it's really happening in this show. I think it's more so just that, um, you know, <laughs> you live long enough to see your see yourself become the villain kind of syndrome. And it's you are starting to see that that darker side of Laura DeMille. And at the end of the episode, you know, she's exclaiming like, no, I am not evil. Like nothing I did was evil or wrong. And it's such a, it's almost like a political commentary. The more I think about it of like, it's someone else being in that Bureau of Normalcy for so long that maybe Niles Calder is right when he calls it like that she's become a cancer, that she's become worse over time and not realizing it because she is a lot like Paul Trainer in the idea that they choose it to believe in normalcy and that's what they want to see maybe it's self-loathing I have no other idea but it's it's such a deep thought of like yeah she does not think she's a bad person through all the years that she has lived and and I think she's able to think that way because she has the luxury of at least being able to physically on the outside appearance look quote normal and act and be quote normal Mm -hmm. you know she does have a high position in the bureau and they don't know that she she's a shapeshifter you know Mm -hmm. changeling whatever you want to call it um but you know star trek uses like there's like three or four different like types of shapeshifters which is wild because like deep space nine is like oh there's only one no there's like anyway um yeah so like she has that she has that luxury and yeah i'm i'm i mean i think i agree with you with with you do something for that long you end up becoming lost uh you know you lose yourself or you you lose whatever you you Mm -hmm. set out to 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 do you lose that goal You become the very thing you swore to destroy. That's the line. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's, you it's know, a tale as old as time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Got a t-shirt right here. It's that says true. It. <laughs> so in the, in the sense where it's like, hey, um, I feel are the fog and the sisterhood of Dada's actions justified or justifiable? Uh, probably. But also... Are they selfish? Uh, yeah, it's kind of like like 
Oh yeah, it's like the whole it's like the whole Magneto thing. It's like we're gonna build a a better world for mutants. Yeah, but self selfish act of killing all humans, right? All right. Well, yeah, we can't coexist. Yeah, you're totally right. We can't. But that's the better tomorrow that you want to strive for, right? The foundation has to be built on something. (laughs) That's the other line from another movie. It's true. It's all true. Um. Anyway, this is this is great. Uh. I'm still, like, in the dark of who Laura DeMille is or what she is hoping to gain out out of anything. And I think we're supposed, like, we as the audience are supposed to be in Laura's shoes because, one, we don't really know who she is, what she did. We are getting snippets in these flashbacks and stuff. And we are seeing a character who does appear to be nice to fellow metahumans and these, you know, gaggle of, of, of Dada characters that we that we know and love. Um, but still, it's 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 still so much uh, mystery, you know. Um, and even so, how did the brain and Mala fit into it? I don't know. But yeah. Lord DeMille, you are a mystery. Um, you you did help create the Bureau of Normalcy. Whatever, yeah, and the but I'm go- I was going to say, you did help create whatever your destruction is coming, I think, uh, with the sisterhood. So it's just one of those, you know, it's Dr. Strange. Frankenstein-esque <laughs> dilemmas. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so weird because, like, um, you know... We don't know everything about the character, but the episode treats it like it does, right? Like, the episode is like, oh, here is, is you know, we're going to show you the past, we're going to show you the future, and by the end of the episode, we're going to bridge the two, right? We're going to see it in tandem, we're going to see it parallel, and we're going to overlap and combine, and show you at the end that it's like, oh, now all the characters are here, all the chess pieces are here, right? And you go, well, wait a minute, not really, because that Laura DeMille one, and Bendy, slash Rita Farr, still have a lot of questions is there something to be said about laura being like what lloyd said complicit obviously she's complicit in the no 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 um, i think it's something else i i you could say that for the sisterhood of of dada as 1949 rolls around and you have uh you know all those people in, in, in the attic and um they're complicit because they feel like they haven't done the eternal flagellation and, and because they haven't done it yet, it's been 30 years. And so that is complacent. They're complicit in the war machine cog or whatever you want to say. Whereas Laura DeMille is, is stoking the fires of it. It's different than complicit. It's, 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 but well, she's complicit in the quest for normalcy. Yeah. She's, she's changed her, um, so maybe that's the whole quote, Madame Rouge of it all. I mean, yeah, that, absolutely. That's what I'm thinking. It's like they'd go about it in a different way of creating, recreating the character, where instead of of having such a uh, 1960s mentality of uh, maybe it's a, a double agent, you know, bipolar disorder, you know, the whole duality of Madame Rouge and Rita Farr. Um, they they go about it differently where it's just like hey no just like politically the character is just so far gone that their agenda has changed towards 
you know, it's not about stopping war. It's about creating normalcy. And I see it in a totally different light. Yeah. Or not even about like uh, embracing the weirdness and oddness of metahumans, you know, or just art form in general and just conforming to, you know, G-men shit. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, it's no longer about, um, it's no longer about art and it's no longer about expressionism. It's about you get this label as a weapon and you get sent on your way. Now we are talking about... Yeah, what is it that you can do for your country? <laughs> like, okay, don't, you know... And here we just, like, get roundabout to all these, like, Nixon-esque ideas and, and stuff. Don't mistake and... your patriotism for, you know, innocence, I guess. It's true. It's all true. I mean... It's, yeah, it's just a, I think it's, it, it might be missed by many, but the, the transformation that happens to Laura DeMille, at least the way it's painted in, in this episode, um, does kind of create a, a bit of discussion for sympathy for the character. Um, I, I, like I said, there's still a lot to understand about her history, her, the timeline that is Laura DeMille. Um, mm-hmm. So it's 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 strange. It creates a bit of a gray area. So until we see the rest of the season, then we'll get to really know about the character. But overall, just a really dynamic character, um, and it's very dynamic. It's so it's insanely curious to see what the end goal is, and if it is the the quest for a character to to do the right thing. It seems like it's this character Laura's trying to. I don't know. Remind herself what she set out to do and to be use, you know, to to be a good person. Is that the helping these the metahumans? The same agenda that the Sisterhood of Dada have, um, and then that brings up the same thing for Bendy. You know, we we've we've been with Bendy for only two episodes, this being our second one, and to think about this new version of Rita Far. As we get to the ending of the episode and the Sisterhood of Dada reunite with Laura DeMille, you start to think like, well, Rita Farr is not a bad person, at least not to us anymore. We've come this far with three seasons, but this is not Rita Farr. This is Bendy, who feels enlightened by the Sisterhood of Dada to, to commit to this eternal flagellation. So... Is the bigger question, is the eternal flagellation <laughs> terrorism? <laughs> hey, that's, you know. that's a subjective term. That's a, that's 100% it's subjective, a joke. We, we, you and I have talked a lot about that is a what joke. is Because you could honestly probably say like, oh, what Banksy's doing is terrorism. He's ruining public property. It's like, okay, it's shut the, the same, fuck up. The you dude know, just wants to paint. the same conversation. You know? You'd be like, yeah, well, George Washington was a terrorist by yeah, exactly. the mindset of the british british empire uh you know and so that's a conversation you can have it's it's it, it, it i you know by the end of the episode yeah it's terrorism but there's a you know again there's another there's a star trek episode i believe it's called the high ground i think it's in season three of the next generation very 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 good episode it you talks gotta, about you on another star trek binge i'm on another well yeah it's one of those things where you just like put on at night and the you know, yeah. The the sci-fi jargon just why watch C- <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> why, why watch CNN or Fox News if you can just watch it dramatized uh-uh. through Star Trek and get your political? It's, oh yeah. Once once Jordy starts running his mouth, I'm like, 
I gotta go, guys. I'm out. This is shoo. <laughs> uh, but no, yes, I, I, I do. Yeah, absolutely. It's the same kind of. It's the same kind of show where, like, not to say that Doom Patrol gets like political. I mean, I enjoy it for that. I'm very much here for it. But well, where's the argument of art is political? Yeah, it is. Every act is it's a just political like, as act. Soon as I Another say it, quote. I'm, I'm sure someone is going to be like, oh, you know, this show's political. And like, that's the end all be all for it. It's like, everything is political. Every act is a political everything, act. And yeah. it is, it's it's the conversation of politics that should be enjoyed. Not exactly in how you feel. Um, it's not a fight. It's not a my team versus your team type but bullshit. See, it's, and I think that's, thank you for bringing it back. That is is the whole thing. The the tribalism of everything is the roots. I feel like of 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 all evil. If I can speak clearly. Um, oh well, yeah, absolutely. That's two thousand one Space Odyssey, right? Frickin' there. That's the entire like fifteen first fifteen minutes or whatever. Yeah, you know, the root of all evil is that tribalism and tribalism. And you so you have the sisterhood of Dada, people who have been oppressed, um, people who seek normalcy, and so like you have these different mindsets. Um, and again, we're going to see that in someone's own mind with Kay Chalice, but you see how tribalism starts to tear at people and, and, and people think, uh, selfishly in ways that protect themselves. And so you have the sisterhood of Dada who come up with eternal flagellation as a means for protection, as a vanguard, as an art movement. Uh, and then you, you see it at the end and you go, well, that's terrorism. Yeah. Well, so is bombing another country. You know, it's a it, <laughs> so is bombing hospitals too. Yeah, it's it, you know you had two world wars and a lot of terrorism, and you say okay, that's evil, and then you look at the people who are oppressed and they rise up, and you go that's terrorism. Like these people are defending themselves in 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 a language that the, the, we can only understand that is an act of aggression, just to be seen, just to be seen and heard. So it is. It is what it is, and I love every bit of it. Um, so by the end of this episode, when we see the eternal flagellation, um, to give it an actual name, to see, you know, to kind of dig into what's happening uh, at the end of this episode. Um, it is a birdcage. There's an egg. There is a <laughs> bird-like creature that comes out of it. Um, if I had to give people like, okay, maybe a comic book reference and the people like, oh, you know, is this a reference to anything in, in the books or anything? Um, is it the fifth horseman of the apocalypse, which might be the same, uh, you know, issue 26, the, the painting that ate Paris and how crazy Jane breaks it by, you know, this fifth horseman of the apocalypse. Maybe that's what the eternal flagellation could be. Um, I'm just speaking out of my own ass and I'm sure... The show will surprise me yet again next week when I realize I'm totally wrong and they're cutting, you know, making references to something else or just coming up with something totally uh, unique and genuine. So who knows? Um, I'm, I'm, I, I wouldn't know. But it, it makes sense if you have, um, you know, the rest of the Sisterhood of Dada's four-person four group and you have your four horsemen of the apocalypse and then the eternal flagellations counts as the fifth one. So it works out the same way. It's just not a giant uh, horse like it is in the comic books. It's it's a it's a bird face uh, angel looking thing. 
um, <laughs> which I'm sure is a reference to another art piece. I never even thought about it until just now. Um, but the bird cage and the bird. Uh, I think this is where we need to start uh, linking another uh, pin in the cork board, and that is with Malcolm, played by Mika Jill Parker. Uh, this one this one hurt me and i don't know if it's because the bird died and it's the cgi bird itself that hurts me or it's just that the character actually died but uh yeah when you say tearjerker in today's episode this this uh this cut me this cut me real deep bobby it's what the bird also represents too it is and it is you know us seeing that animal Mm -hmm. uh with the it being you know as a representation of this this man's heart um it has that added factor of empathy because it's another creature, you know, a helpless creature, especially it, it being in a cage, no way of defending it and just being such a beautiful animal. Um, innocent at heart. Innocent at, oh man, it's, it's, it's sad. And it's like, God damn it. That's sad. And that's so good. I'm so happy that you made me this sad <laughs> um excellent storytelling excellent way to visually represent that um but there's still something about malcolm and with his power i'm assuming that he's able to evade death and that's why he was stuck in limbo in the uh, the Tunnel of Souls for so long because he's just using his power of invisibility or what have you, his power to, to blend in, um, to just evade constantly, which which is what I'm assuming. So death, loosely, loose term, okay? Uh, there's gonna be, there's gotta be something. There's gotta be something. They gotta get the dead voice back. It's like, hey, we got it. We got one. We, <laughs> we left someone behind. We gotta go. We gotta do something about this. Yeah, um, that's, I never even thought about the invisibility being a factor of why he survived in that that tunnel of souls for so long. That's but that's like I'm pulling that from from Harry Potter. You yeah, know? but that makes so that makes total sense that he would be able to do that. I mean, if you got everyone else inside there with um, their, all their abilities as well, so mm-hmm. it's like why wouldn't the invisibility man be able to go invisible, right? So yeah, maybe that is how he's been avoiding it the the mask that he wears of bendy and and dying with that mask on that's the part that gets weird where it's like so that's your face now when you died and that's because you're not wearing a mask back then um that got no, fused to a, you somehow i think it's a i don't think it fused i think it's a, a another metaphor representation of the love um that they had that maybe yeah kept him going you know because technically he doesn't have a heart the bird died yeah so there's got to be something and rita did make him a little metal heart and i don't know if that has anything to do with the with the mask but yeah he was wearing a mask of bendy um and now i have to rewind it it back and see if he calls her bendy which i'm sure he probably does in the episode and i just totally never went back and looked um, and then, cause I can't wait to rewatch, I'm going to rewatch the whole season from the beginning once it's over instead of like just rewatching it immediately. Um, yeah. and getting all the little bits I missed before. Uh, but I'm sure he calls her Bendy at some point as well. So, 
Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. he died in, in today's episode. And, you know, I had I had reservations for the character because we've only been with the character for about three episodes, including uh, Dead Boy, uh, Dead, Dead Patrol. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, what happens to him at the end of, of this episode, the way he dies, it just, once you see the bird that's dead, it's like, I'm so upset. I'm so, it just it got me in my feels. I was distraught that the bird died. Of all things, it's like, I wasn't expecting anyone to really die, but I was afraid someone would. I was almost afraid, you know, they were going to kill off Bendy. And like it was gonna create this weird time, uh, plot hole—not plot hole, but just like a a weird devoid where you know Rita's character was gonna get killed off in the past, but we wouldn't see her in in the in the present anymore, and it's gonna create this whole weird situation. Um, so I was almost worried that was gonna happen. But then when Malcolm died, I was like, "Oh no, that explains how he goes into the tunnel of souls." But then I saw the bird, and I was like, "Oh my god, not the bird! Anyone but the bird! He didn't deserve it." <laughs> so uh, today's episode is very fitting of the title "Bird Patrol" um, for sure. And um, man, got me good. Um, let's talk about one more character in 1949 before we start to talk about the actual Doom Patrol in today's episode. And that is Wally Sage, played by Daniel Anone. Uh, Nate, you and I, I think this one was a, like, I, we caught this when we first saw it. But I never got a good look at it until we wrapped up the episode and then we started doing notes for uh, for the show. Um, I was like, that comic that, so to, to bring everyone up to speed, Wally Sage is the character that Laura DeMille is interviewing in the meta uh, meta human um, weapons uh, consulting, uh, and Wally Sage has this ability that is reality alteration. He sees a beach ball in a comic strip, and he goes, "Boom! I'm going to bring that beach ball to life." Um, and that comic book that he was looking at is our very own Flex Mentalo. Which, if a lot of people caught the Wally Sage uh, name, they would know that that's a character in Doom Patrol and in the Flex Mentalo comic book, also written by Grant Morrison. That artwork, though, Frank Quietly, one of Nate's favorites, if I do say so myself. <laughs> you do say so yourself, if I'm, and I'm saying so myself. Um, I know how much you love uh, that artist. So uh, Flex Mentalo, created by Wally Sage in the comics because Wally Sage has the, uh, the ability to um, make things real. And so... Um, my guess is that at some point the ant farm is like, Hey, why don't you make that guy a real person? Or maybe Wally Sage did it on his own accord. But yeah, the comic book that Wally Sage is looking at in the episode is the same comic book or comic strip that is it a comic strip or it wasn't an advertisement. I can't remember exactly. No, what he was, it was the real life. That was like a real life event. The hero of the beach thing. In in the comic books. In the comic like the book, yeah, it story. was, yes. Yeah. So essentially Wally Sage was showing us the panels of Grant Morrison's book. So did he, wait, did he, so he must have brought that to Laura DeMille in today's episode. Because she was looking at it, she was like, 
thumbing through it, and then she was throwing them on the table, and she was like, yeah, what is she, that? There was a bunch of other illustrations and stuff, which they have to be of, of other things. It looked like there was like a Nosferatu or something in there as well that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, another one with like a woman in a trench coat that had like an ink, ink dark shadow or something like that, and I was like, oh, is that like a Madame Rouge drawing or something like that? I don't know. But like co- I'm sure those Coagula drawings from, had uh, other... Um, Rachel Pollock? Uh, yeah, Doom Patrol villain. Yeah, possibly. So. Never know. Um, but it, Wallace Sage, that ability brings to mind what uh, Gerard Way was bringing about in the newer series of Doom Patrol, where Danny brought um, Casey to life. Casey was a comic book character mm. um, mm-hmm. that was made into reality um, by Danny. So I don't know if something is correlated within those but possibly or maybe it's just hey whatever same power you know we just get to see it animated and stuff i know you're just been headstrong about having a having a casey brink in here so <laughs> it's you know there's always a way to bring in that character um but i think you know give it give it maybe a season or, or two more and then when we when they decide to refresh the cast maybe maybe some characters want to exit um then then would be a, a great time to bring in a, a new character um but until then, it was just great to see Wally Sage, see that character brought in, see the uh, Flex Mentalo character's origins and where they come from. Um, so it's really cool to see that. If anyone's looking for uh, that 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 kind of reference, I think it's issue 38 of Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol, uh, volume 2, if you have the Grant Morrison books. Um, or just look up issue 38 in the you know 1987 uh, run. But yeah, that Wally Sage character was a Easter egg, a, a big one at that. So it was really cool to see the character. Um, and then you were telling me, uh, Nate, do you have a question before I sidebar? Yeah, <clears throat> Young Justice. Mm-hmm. Um, what what's the new season that's out right now? Four Phantoms, right? which is four. Yes. The four, okay, so the third one. Casey was in that third one. I always forget that she was the ambulance. Um, she, she was an ambulance driver. Yeah, you're yeah. right. I always forget that. I just did a quick search, and it was like, oh, yeah, there's the Young Justice illustration of it right there. Anyway, <clears throat> um, no, that. that was sidebar. I'm sorry. I completely cut you off and derailed you. Is the ambulance Danny? Is there any mention Young of Justice? Danny? I don't remember. Okay, scratch that. I'll have to I go only back watched and that third season one time when it first came out. It was like, this was good, and I binged it like in like two days or something it was like oh, oh yeah excellent that, it was like and one of the first things back, i watched on yeah hbo max or, or dc infinite whatever um, mm-hmm. um i just got to go back and rewatch them now so i don't care if this stays on the air but when you get to start season four you let me know i need to watch it with you so we can okay because that'll be a great time <laughs> um uh so yeah the the quick thing about wally sage is you pointed it out while we were looking through the comic book panels you're like oh this uh the beach ball is not even in that panel and then I was thinking, because it's not in it, right? Like, he took it out of the comic, so it's it's a weird... That's fun. And that then those pages technically existed in 1949, 59, 49, whatever. Yeah, because you take it out. Yeah, it's weird. It's. And then so, like, if whatever reason, like, that, those physical pages that were Lord DeMille, that he was handing over, if those went on to whatever sort of reality, make it into... A Grant Morrison book, the beach ball wasn't there because he pulled it out. Yeah, the beach ball is no longer in the comic. Uh, it, it, I was thinking like, so he, 
if they keep the Wally Sage character around, that is the key to taking Mr. Nobody and Beard Hunter out of the painting that stole Cloverton. Because you get Wally Sage, and you're like, we need you to pull these guys out. Alter their reality so that they're outside of the painting now. And you can just be like, whoop, all right, you're out. Yeah. What power is that? Because, like, like, Queen of Fables has that, too. And it's like, whatever this, like, bringing illustrations to life. Um, it's, it's called reality alteration. Reality alteration. Yeah. That's sort of a blanket term, though, because that could be, like, I don't know. I I, no, no. I was just, I was the only, the the first thing in my mind was the freaking I know what you're thinking of. the rock the stone <laughs> the rock Dwayne Johnson the rock. <laughs> talking about Josh yeah. Brolin do you the, smell? the other rock man why doesn't he do that anymore why can't he like in in a movie just give me a movie where the rock has Jumanji do you smell what the rock is cooking oh yeah there you go. They're trying to move away from that, huh? They that's been dead it's and Dwayne they Johnson buried that. Now. There's no rock. Dwayne Johnson, he's not the rock anymore. It's not the rock anymore. It's the man what in a, black. What it's a black Adam now. <laughs> what a, What a marketing role. The role he was born to play. Yeah. Wait till uh I don't know. Wait till the next time he shows up at WrestleMania and they get him to to wear the the black Adam suit at WrestleMania. Then he got Man this is okay. Sign me up. I will. Pay, I will pay a pay per view thing to watch Dwayne the Rock Johnson show up, and give me a people's elbow in that outfit. Hey, oh. People like hey, if, you, if people like superheroes and they like superheroes doing superhero things, you're gonna love a- AEW. Go go watch professional wrestling. It, that's yeah. that's the good drama. Damn! You can you see. imagine Black Adam from the top rope? <laughs> Break the microphone. <laughs> Oh uh, man. Yeah. Great stuff. Uh okay, so we, we we hit the Wally Sage bit. Let's get into uh some of the Doom Patrol characters. We've got Larry Trainer, we've got Victor Stone, Cliff Steele, and Crazy Jane. Uh which one do you want to talk about first, Nate? Um, let's talk about the Larry Trainer stuff. Okay. The pupa. Is that not what you wanted that was I don't <laughs> I thought you were gonna You said go, that with such reluctancy. Go, no, 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 yeah, yeah. No. I was gonna ask you if you wanted to start going into it first. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um I love Larry Trader in this episode. It's yeah. so funny. It was like <laughs> first off, him, you know, puking up some weird larva pupa thing is, you know, a horror element that uh, is is uneasy to me, mm-hmm. like things coming out of mouths and whatnot. Um, just like wow, uh, it's like one of those just like body horror things that yeah is unsettling to me. But it's not like I'm gonna turn away, you know. Yeah. Um, but good, good, uh, good jokes. You know, what do you do when when you when you vomit up a 16 pound? alien entity give it a name yeah of course you give it a name the fact that larry's treating it like an extension like it's it's a it, he birthed it like it's a child thing that was what was getting me it was bringing him the food in the thermos and then the scarf because it was cold and then you know there shouldn't be anything dangerous here it's like is i don't think there's anything dangerous here it's like i don't know it's uh very funny um it seems like he has like an inherent uh parental guidance on this thing um so, I don't know. I'm curious to see what it is. Um, 
what starts out as as pupa forms that's the thing i was i was wondering about like okay so <laughs> flies to, to, well hmm there's only one other time in Doom Patrol where like a pupa is is mentioned, and I won't get into it. I don't even. I I didn't even want to mention it on the show because I just thought the Geomancer War is just so complex that to introduce it here and now would be really rather rather weird to 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 talk about unless they're planting a seed or or pupa for next season. But um, yeah, Larry Trainer going off into the negative nebula. We've talked about it, how we've seen something like that in Gerard Way's Doom Patrol. So really not sure what's happening um, with this pupa that he gives birth to. Um, Maybe it's another form of the Russian nesting dolls. Yeah, but like... Whatever that metamorphous idea is that that is with, with Rebus and the... And even with Larry and the and the Russian nesting nesting dolls, um, maybe this is it for the new age. I don't know. It still stands to like be here for a reason. I mean, obviously, we the the characters in the show they want to say like, oh, you know, it's a parasite, get rid of it. You know, you got a space parasite, done deal. Get rid of it. Get clean. Get healthy. You know, do away with it. Mm-hmm. Kill it with fire. And then, sure, maybe Larry Trainer's like, oh, you know, I, I see this this need to be a parental figure towards this thing that I, you know, gave birth to, for lack of a better term. But, you know, it's it's just like, what is what is the point story-wise? Like, what is this pupil? What is it, what's going on with it? Is it a Geomancer reference, or is it uh, something to do with the negative spirit, which you haven't seen since, you know, the start of the season? you know what is the metamorphosis of this pupil when it finally transforms what will it transform into uh physically and what will it transform into uh cinematically like story-wise what will what will its poetic um purpose be so that's the part that has me stumped but the way that they go about it in today's episode that's where it becomes hilarious that's where it becomes like something that i've really enjoyed in this show is me like uh like being aware and separating Matthew Zuck from Matt Bomber and Riley Shanahan from Brendan Fraser, where a lot of times like I get to enjoy the show for the physical performance of these characters. So it's stuff like that where I'm really enjoying um, like seeing this performance of Negative Man. Uh, it, and it's not really like slapstick, but it feels slapsticky in the way that they go about like, oh, what do I do with that? I don't know. Do I name it? And then you're like, okay, let me leave it in the forest. And then I'm like, okay, well, let me get a little water bottle. And, you know, I made you PB&J. Everyone loves PB&J. And you have like this little sock worm puppet in a backpack and it's like, you know, slightly moving and he's like taking care of it. And you've got Matthew Zuck in a negative man outfit. And then they were like, okay, we'll just put a beanie on negative man because you know it's cold out right and he's like yeah but he's in bandages and he's irradiated it's like who cares but it's like yeah but it's cute so put it on it's like everything that goes on about like carrying this little literally little this little subplot for this <laughs> little baby alien it's just it's just a cute all around and so you end up loving the way they go about it even if if what happens in the episode isn't too substantial besides like yeah, now we can confirm there's a parasite in him. 
what what is it well like who cares it was just really cute <laughs> it can stay yeah i don't know i still get you know uh astronaut's wife vibes we'll have to get the um you know when they when they make a doom patrol when they finally make doom patrol figures for the tv show you got the negative man he's got like this kind of clear plastic negative spirit and then right there in the bottom right corner you have just a little pupa like a little vinyl softy thing what was the other thing what's the thing it reminds what's the the teen titans silky, silky you remember that yeah, little guy teen titans yeah little raven or uh starfire's little little glorp thing <laughs> yeah what was that guy's name king moth it wasn't king moth mothman not that one <laughs> <laughs> that's a, anyway he's gonna create the mothman for cloverton ohio hey <laughs> wouldn't put it past him um anyway it's uh it's it's very i'm very curious to see what this is metaphorically uh literally uh it's i'm i think i'm i'm sticking with a more i don't know alien-esque uh organic biological form of the russian nesting doll my guess is that Either it pulls from the Gerard Way comics, like it either gets further into that, or it becomes more of a Rebus thing where they resolve themselves with negative man, the negative spirit metamorphosis, like it, it, it comes from, it grows from this pupa, and then becoming a more whole version of the negative spirit, it then fuses and makes this more rebus hmm. negative spirit negative Maybe. man that's a huge is, is this gonna be the thing where he's just got to keep on like yelling at this pupa to just like pass on all the negative energy <laughs> so no, it like gestates no. and grows no idea i just scream at, at my freaking worm for an hour hang on yeah so uh, it's, it's in my opinion it's either going to be more of a grant morrison uh development for larry trainer or it's going to be more of a gerard way version um but, uh, yeah, so, and then uh, kicking it off over to Victor Stone Cyborg, um, we see him at the beginning here. He's consulting Dr. Chalmers, played by Deja Ji. This character um, is the is the character they initially talks to about getting synthetic skin and, and getting rid of Cyborg, um, both physically and, you know... Um, Technologically. Yeah, and, and mentally, and... You know, what I loved so much about this, and th- not even to get into the, the Ronnie Evers bit, which is fantastic, um, but the, I, I think the Dr. Chalmers character needs a lot of credit because the Dr. Chalmers character comes across as both very intelligent uh, as, as a doctor about the situation, about the procedure that he's in, and, you know, very straightforward about, you know, what's at stake, what the process is, you know, everything that Victor Stone as a patient would need to know. But at the same time, she has the warmth of, of knowing him and being like, you should consult your your close ones. Like, you know, is this something you really want to do emotionally? Um, are you are you well enough to make this decision right now? There's a lot about Dr. Chalmers character that seems to be uh, a fusion of both Eleanor and Dr. Silas Stone where she has both, and not this, you know, Eleanor Stone was also a very great scientist as well, but 
this doctor is like, yeah, we can do this. It would take this long. It would be this. We'd be doing this procedure. All these things are 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 doable. We, we can do it. But she also does come across as a mother figure and being like, is this really what you want to do? Is this, you know, you know, this procedure will actually rid you of, of someone you used to be. And so, and there was something I really enjoyed about seeing that character because you can see it all the time in television and movies where you bring in a, a doctor character and you keep, and you kind of create them in this very uh, bleak tone where they're just very straightforward. It's like, oh yeah, this is a procedure. You want to do it or not? Like it'll, it, you know, it'll take <laughs> in between two episodes. You'll come out the next episode being, you know, perfectly fine. Um, and you won't see me ever again, but it's the emotional impact that the character has as almost like a mother figure to Victor Stone is where I really was like, oh, that's a really nice written character. We may not see her again um, for the, the entire season, but to go about it that way to me was um, just fantastic. So, Well, it's, I, it's, it's hard not to, to see that character and to see the other side of it being, well, you are clearly the good person here and you're just making silas stone to be out the bad guy again which i'm still in that boat (laughs) they but but cyborg and silas did have somewhat of a connection or an understanding uh whatever bridge that they built on remorse silas's remorse towards you know what he did to his son and then you have this character another doctor come in and say like Oh yeah, dude. Why didn't your father want to try synthetic skin to begin with? I don't know. That right there is always is just inherently saying like, oh, well, etch a sketch everything Silas is going to because now he's back to being the bad guy. Now he's back to being the selfish Star Labs uh, scientist that saw an opportunity to use this incredible tech and to put it into function. You know, put it to use in his own son. Uh, a live guinea pig if you will um is that not throwing up any red flags for you i mean that this that this doctor was just like so like yeah dude you came in here we can do this procedure same day bro we got you we're the good guys now you want this for yourself we got you i understand the dilemma that victor stone has to go through of himself and fighting with being cyborg and that you can't just go through a procedure and put on some fake skin and call it a day you know the con- she was explaining that you are going to lose part of yourself you're going to take everything yeah. out like it's you are going to be another you're not going to be cyborg anymore you're not even going to be vic stone pre-cyborg anymore um i don't know it's like a is this a is this a wolf in sheep's clothing type deal it's uh, the conversation that that we left off with Silas and Victor was that in my understanding and this is how I feel about it is that yes what he did was what he did to Victor Stone to to make him into cyborg maybe it was it can be seen as a selfish decision to be like okay well we're going to use this we're going to use the this kind of technology nanotechnology and it's going to make you look like this. That's a decision I'm making because I think this is the best situation for you. But I don't think there's any malicious intent behind it to make him a hero, to make him a weapon for Star Labs. 
anything that has to you know kind of parallel the the metahuman uh business that the bureau of normalcy was doing in the ant farm i don't think it was really like that um it became that later when they were like oh yeah you get, you're actually superhero viable now but the I, I think it's one thing to be like hey i'm sorry i made you a cyborg but it was never my intent to make you a weapon or a superhero and i think that's the tricky situation where you're like okay so he intended him to be a cyborg but he didn't intend him to be a weapon it's two different it's like two different statements so yeah it is weird he didn't choose the synthetic skin true but he didn't do it for malicious reasons so it's i i agree with you whether you forgive him i want so so it's so up to you (laughs) i want to see silas stone as a good father good person you want a good father figure nate (laughs) no and it's (laughs) like i want to see and i think the the idea is i like i want to see him in a jonathan kent-esque idea of a father role but that doesn't exist and that will probably never exist and if i do want that i'm going to go read a fucking jonathan kent storyline you know more of a jor-el right yeah either one He's the dead. Hey man, that guy's got two dads. Yeah, yeah. pick one. I feel like it's more of a Jor-El take situation. Your, take you your want. pick on which fucking father teachings you want to you want to learn. Yeah. From. Um, you want the space dad or you want fucking farm dad? Anyway. Uh, yeah. So like, I do want to see Silas. Mm-hmm. I want to find um, some sort of uh, justifiable reason. For him to 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 create cyborg, and I understand, I I get the idea of using what he had, um, to keep his son alive, and his son does become a hero, so I'm not damning him for any of it. I just I just need <laughs> I need Silas to to see that he's a bad father. That's what I think it is, or to see that he. Uh, <sighs> you know what i mean it's like yes we know it's like you're right he is he is i just i think i'm on the same page as you where it's like you want some kind of redemption for the character that's what it is you want i need something to recover from being a bad father like you're not dead yet you didn't die in cyborg patrol season one you're still alive there's still time for you to make up for it but I think whatever he's doing in the in the Joss Whedon Justice League by showing his dad how he can like fly now and stuff like that and like that whole like happy <laughs> bullshit scene that's what I want. You want but the happy because bullshit, it exists in that bullshit. movie, it's bullshit. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's like, bullshit though. You gave me what I wanted, but now that I saw it, it's like I don't want that. I'm just now I'm the terrible outspoken internet. Now you're fan. the cynic. <laughs> yeah. Um. No, I understand that this character is the character, I just, and I, uh, what we're, the 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 appreciation will come with the ride. Yeah, of watching this 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 particular relationship between Cyborg and Silas Stone from HBO Max's Doom Patrol and all of the lovely people that work on it, seeing this relationship uh, grow is what I want. At the end of the day, it's just give me more, baby. I think what I always it is, just want the more. Is we're it's you're you're forming these characters that I've known for so many years, and you're giving me new ideas and new thoughts to think about, and seeing them in different light. 
I don't know. Yeah. It's excellent. The new it's idea is that, you know, he, he, we're past asking Silas, uh, or, or we're past Victor Stone seeking Silas's forgiveness. I'm getting this totally wrong. We're past seeing Victor Stone forgive his father for creating Cyborg. Where we are at now is we're seeing Victor Stone forgive himself for being Cyborg. So let me say that again. We're past him forgiving his father. We've already been past it. Yes, he was a terrible dad, but he's been forgiven for the actions he's made to make him Cyborg. Now we're at a point where Victor Stone has to forgive himself for being the great cyborg. You understand what I'm saying now? I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I, yeah it's, I get it. Yeah. You're, I need to, so now that he's I need here, to watch Cyborg like, realize that he doesn't need to be put on this pedestal that he thinks he needs to be put on. Yeah. Frenzy has to taught him that he's that. on this pedestal. And so yeah. he feels like if he gets rid of the cyborg part, that absolves him of his heroics or his his pretentious his, position as as a superhero um what's the uh expectation that's what we're yeah. fucking missing that word and so like when he finally has the conversation with ronnie evers she tells him that like who he is as a hero that is victor stone and let's and let's give a huge shout out before we start to get into that and, you know karen obalam we've been waiting to see her the entire season we have here in season seven we see karen obalam as ronnie evers Finally, and and they and they cut to her real quick. They don't even like hide it. There's no dramatic no, entrance. Just it's fucking just like, boom, Ronnie Evers. We're here. Karen's American here. sniper in it and on a mountain. And uh, it's oh my god, it's such a good scene between Ronnie and Victor because it reminds you of like this like this chemistry just like never left between the two characters. And when you see the character again, you're like, damn, they still got it. Oh, like, it's true love. They are in love with each other and it's like that understanding of like i love you as a person i don't love you as cyborg the fucking hero and you don't love me as ronnie Everts, the 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 crazed revenge uh super soldier like they love each other as victor and ronnie and it's so real Mm -hmm. in my opinion it really is um captain america being able to like (laughs) (laughs) like just being able to like pick up the phone and get reassurance from that one person that you hold so dear to you where you're just like i need you one i need to tell you that i'm doing this big decision and i need your feedback you know Mm -hmm. yeah we may like have had a fight but i value you as a person so much that i need your feedback right now that is such a good love dynamic to me yeah it's so real yeah it's it's it reminds me a lot of like what larry trainer said to paul in uh was it yeah it was last week's episode 1917 patrol where he was saying like you know i forgive myself and it's and it's like ronnie's advice to victor is like you need to you know forgive yourself. find yourself bro yeah, and 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 realize who you really are with or yeah. without the machine. Um, yeah. And like, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm about. Yeah. My whole life has as this, and there's nobody that can stop me. Look at you. Cyborg can't even stop me. You know? Yeah. You need to go find yourself, dude. Exactly. So just a really great moment um, f- 
for those two characters and, and to see them again it's fantastic and of course at the end of the episode you've got uh joyvin wade <laughs> being like this <laughs> medically induced uh cyborg at the end of the episode it's just another yeah. great uh performance by these characters always playing these uh, uh you know, affected versions of their characters so it was really funny to see that as well um Let's kick it over to Cliff Steele. <sighs> Cliff Steele, you got a bunch of problems, my man. I don't know what's going on with you. <laughs> it's like, it's it's more than a gambling problem. It's it's this dopamine problem. So his, his, he's taking these dopamine pills, right? And yeah. he's, he's selling everything. And... Uh, for a rush of dopamine like what is this what is this thing that's happening to this character uh could you make sense of it because like i'm over here thinking uh, i mean obviously i understand everything that's going on with clara and and melissa and and rory the, the the grandson um but as far as victor like is he's still medicating himself on these dopamine pills but it's it's i guess it's just causing like irrationality and decision making like what the fuck is going on with you, dude? Drug use, dude. I mean, it could be. Um, but yeah, it's a. Uh, I I clocked it as a gambling issue at first, but obviously there's something more. Um, maybe there is some sort of uh, degenerative brain disease. Maybe I don't know. It seems like um, the pills are not helping because we do see the Parkinson's return in the episode. Uh, when he's holding Rory, and it seems to come when he's when he starts to get a little bit stressed out. Um, yep. So, with or without taking the medication, it's still an issue? Question mark. So I'm wondering if, because I I doubt it was just like oh you oh you know it's time for him to take his medication again, um, but more so like the medication doesn't work anyways, and now you're tweaking off this overdose of of dopamine pills that you bought online of, with no insurance and and you know now you've got maxed out credit cards and you're selling everyone's stuff and um we have some great chemistry with you know Riley Shannon's robot man and 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 uh uh Diane's uh crazy Jane and even Flit uh Diane doing another flip uh uh, performance on on today's episode so it's just really great to see these characters uh interact with each other but man every time cliff is in these latest episodes he is a whirlwind of bad decision making and it's like it's it's just i have i have the most like anxiety when i see cliff out of any other character in the show lately like before i used to be like oh cliff like a, such a tragic character this that and the other like it's so sad to see a character like suffer in such a way and now whenever i see cliff i'm i feel like lord the mill like i have that clipboard that says weapon and i look at robot man and i go this man shouldn't be near a baby at all let alone anyone else because he, you're you're shaking as if you're a ticking time bomb and a loose cannon is probably the only term that I can use to describe you. So what is happening to this character? I'm so afraid of what what's going to happen. And then of course, you know, what's going to happen with this uh, robot body. It's a huge question yeah. mark. 
It's more of just like a, uh, uh, the storm is brewing. We're seeing all the, uh, the dominoes being set up and something's got to push it over. Um, and also like the fact that he's trying to make up for lost time, obviously with his daughter and, and try to be a better grandfather than his father, you know? Um, Oh yeah. So it's just that whole idea of, of man trying to live up to whatever expectation, um, that he sees in himself. Um, it, it's it's tough. It's tough to see the Parkinsons come back and um, Clara's uh, wife like notice it and 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 want to say things like, "Hey, Cliff is like dangerous. Like this is bad. I'm worried having my kid around him." And Clara seeing it like he's trying so hard and want him in her life like so hard and trying to just see all the good side of it and not see the negativity. Um, Mm -hmm. One of those big negativity things was a dude stole her credit card. Come on, man. Yeah. (laughs) Come on, man. What are you, 13, trying to get more RuneScape coins or whatever? I don't remember. I haven't played that game in years. Trying to buy some Um, fucking chipmunk keychain thing. (laughs) Yeah, so I never really thought about it as being like the uh, the dopamine fix, but that makes sense with... uh, with all the the screens and the the cam girl and the uh, you know the 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 cool video game noises and the you know getting the next level and and winning the hand in poker and getting all the chips and all that stuff and seeing that as the dopamine rush, um, it's all apparent. But I am not a uh, brain guy, neurosurgeon or anything, so I don't know where the correlation of dopamine and like a like the general like you actually brain. have a real fucking problem, dude. <laughs> yeah, like I want to know where the correlation in like the the need for dopamine or the overdose in dopamine relates to the brain itself actually like dying or or something, you know? Yeah, and I think that might um, they might really explore in in the next episode. Um, mm-hmm. But man, it's I, what causes the Parkinson's is the statement that Clara makes where he does remind her of his dad. So when she says, you remind me of grandpa, you know, and you know, that gets to him because we, we talked about that with dead patrol where, you know, his, his father has made peace with who he is and he can't get over that. And he vows to be nothing like him. But that's also what his father did as well. And so we talked about this before, but it's like when she she kind of confirms it when she says it. She's like, you remind me a lot of, you know, my grandfather, your father. And that gets to him because that's that's the truth. And, he, you know, it's been something he's been fighting to get away from. But it's like if that's that's the road to being a better person is when you get to that point. You just have to accept that your father changed who he was. And so shall you, if you just like also forgive your father. And like, that's the hardest thing for him. So it's like, no, I don't really want to face the music. I'd rather just keep taking these pills and talking to Ginger. So that seems to be working out for me better. And it's like, it's really not dude. Cause you're, you're like an exposed wire at this point. <laughs> yeah. He's a mess. He's a mess for sure. Um, final character, Crazy Jane versus Dr. Harrison in K-1. 
Cage House is mine. Um, this one has a little bit of uh, Sky Roberts in it as Kate Chalice. Someone has stolen her bike. and uh, The bike that she stole. The bike that she stole. and I <laughs> Which is a construct of a bike, so she technically didn't steal it. I don't think. So, Unless like that bike is in Jane's room, which would be cool. I, uh, okay, yeah, okay, that makes it more confusing now that I think about it that way. It's like, did you lose a memory? Because we were talking about it being a memory, and now you're saying it's lost, so now where's your bike? And so now I'm thinking, like, first of all, and I'm glad you brought it up, because I was thinking the same thing, where she was crying. I thought her first statement was going to be, like, I stole someone's bike, and now I feel bad. Yeah. It's like, no, someone stole my bike. And it was like, your bike? Your bike? How about it was that person's bike, and you stole it? Um, But it's the construct of the bike, so it is Kay's bike. She was out there on top and experienced the bike and was able to bring that back down. So Unless she put the bike back after she was done. And then she just has the... Because there's no way she, you know, metaphysically brought the bike into her mind. It wasn't like the bike... Well, no, she did metaphysically bring the bike into her mind. She didn't physically bring the bike into anyone. It, that's what I'm saying. She didn't physically yeah. <laughs> transmute the, 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 the bike into her reality. Um but then again, Candlemaker was able to do it, so who knows anymore? It's all the battle of the minds. Uh, the mind is the limit, as they say. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's... I don't know what's going on with this one. My guess is that Dr. Harrison, mm-hmm. is she using her ability to persuade the rest of the personalities? Um, yes. The constructs are starting to use the construct within the construct. Hey, where's hey, where's Leonardo DiCaprio when you need him, huh? Tell him to spin that top for me. <laughs> um, yeah, no. So it's it's. I think it's uh, whatever. Doctor Harrison is in the idea that um, if K gets better, that none of the other constructs are none of the personalities. Yeah, so and obviously Doctor Harrison the, doesn't want to stop existing. Exactly. So it's it's the constructs are now, um, like self defense. It's, it's your mind playing tricks on you, I guess. You yeah, know? but like, it's, is that all of their own thoughts? Like, is that are they all in? No, agreement? because they're all separate personalities. And that's it's why sixty four different people in there. Because obviously, if Crazy Jane is like, oh, you know, like I'm, I'm, uh, you know, if, if we are to believe Crazy Jane is like the chosen one, the strongest one of of the personalities. Um, and it's, she doesn't agree with Dr. Harrison, but not all of the other ones, like even Hammerhead, uh, it's, would, would also agree to Dr. Harrison. Like, that's where I think there's foul play involved. Like, Dr. Harrison is just like, her ability is persuasion. Mm-hmm. So it's like to me when when I see that scene and you see all these other personalities just kind of looking at Crazy Jane as if they've chosen to be in the tribe of Dr. Harrison, I go, okay, well, this is foul play. You, you've got all these people. You've somehow used your persuasion on the other personalities just like Miranda used her influence on the other personalities as well. Um, yeah. You've also got you know the daddy figure somewhere out there causing fear that might help influence the the environment politically 
around the other personalities and how you might want to um, uh, manipulate them. And so it's it's one of those things where I'm just like, I, 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 I know how Dr. Harrison feels natively. And I know how crazy Jane feels. But it's the other personalities where I'm like, I just don't know if if they can be saved if if this is just the influence of dr harrison if we have to see the dr harrison character go in just that character only that's that's a conclusion i could make an assumption for it's you know by the end of the season it's like we have to eliminate the dr harrison character um and start to slowly heal um because if it's not then then violently we have to get rid of all the other personalities um or at least a good majority of, of the bad ones um pretty positive there is that 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 in the in the end of that first volume of gerard way's run um i believe dr harrison is a persona that is uh leading that cult yeah um so there is i'm pretty sure there is a way that they you know do away with dr harrison or at least that you know they bring jane back up to the top um so hey that could be a possibility i do think that there is some sort of at least, you know, from pretty Polly's perspective, there is a fear that uh, happens when, I guess, Dr. Harrison and, and pretty Polly are together. But there is some sort of fear uh, there, present, obviously. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right. I think Dr. Harrison is using her ability on the other uh, personalities to, you know, solidify the fact that they are still needed, that they have to keep Kay upset and locked in a room, which is just it's just progressive. fucking crazy. <laughs> it's really yeah, bad. that's that's so that's so bad. Yeah. Um. So man, that's so bad, and that's like your mind. That's like a weird, like depression look, where your mind is just constantly working against yourself to to be better. I don't, don't know, we man. know that's, that? <laughs> Yeah, that's just fucking terrible. Um, So the next episode is called uh, Subconscious Patrol. And I think that's, you know, we're we're here at the eternal flagellation of the the end of today's episode. And so going into Subconscious Patrol, I'm not reading, you know, the synopsis. I'm not looking into anything further, not even the promo just yet. Um, But if I couldn't infer from the title, it's 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 where we need to get to for a lot of these characters. And the question of, of who are we and, and, and what are we and, and why are we uh, when it comes to the Doom Patrol now rather than the Sisterhood of Dada, we have to think about Cyborg and we have to think about Cliff Steele and Kate Chalice. And then we also have to think about um, Larry Trainer and, and what's going on with him and his negative spirit, uh, Pupa. Uh, larva thingy baby thing Mm -hmm. and you know we had to start to think subconsciously maybe about these characters and and to get to a point where when we do reach the finale of this season we've answered the question of what is going on in the season with a step in the right direction for these characters and so uh i think a lot of these characters are starting to heal quote unquote but are they healing in the right direction and like are the method to their healing like they're they're you know they're going about their life they realize what their problem is they've accepted what their problems are we do this in real life where we are aware of our problems now we've we've talked about it we've accepted that we have problems and then when we try to look for a solution 
you know, we start and we go, hey, this is working. And then, you know, come to find out later, like, it's not working. We have to make more changes. We have to do things better. Um, and that's what's going on with these characters where, you know, we are healing, but are we healing correctly? You know, mm. are, are the ne- necessary sacrifices being made. So, um, yeah. subconscious patrol. Hey, what my last, Go yeah, I was going to say, what better way to explore the subconscious than through sleepwalking? Hmm. We haven't seen sleepwalk do sleepwalk. Just dropped a thought bomb on you, didn't I? Yeah, absolutely. We saw we saw some sleepwalk thing. Whatever the um the foghorn, the Dada physical. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, whatever you call them. Yeah. Things showing up, but yeah. That's uh. Anyway, subconscious patrol. Let's do it. Without further ado, well, let's you know, you know, shout out to little social medias here and there. If you guys enjoyed everything you heard, you can find us on all social media: Facebook, Twitter, at Radio Doom Patrol. You can also find us on DuelingGenre.com, where our show Doom Patrol Radio is hosted. If you guys enjoyed today's episode, please leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. Let people know about the show if they like Doom Patrol as well, because we love talking about it. And talk about the show with us. You know, find us on social media. Hit us up. Tell us what you thought. A lot of people have been hitting us up this season, telling us they love the show and they love uh, hearing us talk about it. So I love hearing you guys talk about it. So let's talk about it together. Um, so, yeah, check us out there, and we'll check you guys out next week. DJ, please take it away. Uh, how long is it going to take you guys to get over here?